Welcome to the Recognizing Potential podcast with your host and certified relationship coach, Cameron Thompson Alaricki. This is the podcast for all things real and raw on marriage, family, and building healthy relationships in this world. As a coach, I am on a mission to help couples recognize their full potential and reach far beyond that with tools, resources, and busting through their own limiting beliefs. Together, my clients and I are changing the statistic that half of marriages end in divorce by creating clearer communication, stronger, healthier habits, more passion and intimacy, and balance in the marriage, whatever that looks like for you. I'm a pilot wife, and together we have a baby and an 11-year-old from my previous marriage, so you can also find tips on blending a family successfully in this podcast. In my spare time, you can find me reading, painting, and traveling this gorgeous, incredible world. Hey guys, welcome to another episode. I'm so happy you're here. Today we're talking about, are you happy? We are talking about the concept of happiness in general. So do you have everything you ever wanted? Do you spend your time the way that you want? Are you a person who relentlessly pursues happiness? Do you expect your partner to make you happy? What if I told you that what you have is yours because that's what you tolerate? What you value is what creates your world and what you don't value keeps what you don't away. Now, before you think I've gone off my rocker, just follow me for a second here. This isn't like all woo-woo and everything else. But think about that. Whether people take advantage of you. There's so many people that I know. And actually, I used to be one of these people that would get so irritated because people would come to me and need me and need me and need me. And I would get so irritated that they needed me too much kind of thing. But it was because I didn't value boundaries and therefore I didn't set any. And now that's something that's definitely changed and it's so much more freeing. It's so much more peaceful and I'm not irritated with people all the time, which in turn was a projection because I was actually irritated with myself for not setting the boundary in the first place. But think about the people that you spend time with You value your friendship with those people and the people that you don't really care to spend time with, you don't really value what they bring to the table. Those that you make time for, those that you make an effort to text during the week or call or get together, you value the fact that they lift you up, they have a reciprocal relationship with you, and they push you to be a better person in some way. If you don't value certain people's presence, you don't make time for them. Simple as that. But what about in your marriage, if that's applicable? As a relationship coach, I see this a lot, that it's the same here too. Both positive and negative values give you what you have or don't. I was just talking to a couple in one of our sessions this past week, and I said, you have created the world that you live in. So what you value in your marriage is what you protect and what you strive to keep growing. And if you value honesty, then you're not going to tolerate lies. And if you value quality time, you're, you're going to set boundaries with anyone and anything that may infringe upon that quality time with your spouse or your family, right? 
You're going to value things like bedtimes so that you and your partner can have that connection after the kids go to bed. You're going to value teaching the kids responsibility so that you don't have to always be the one to clean up dishes or to, um, you know, clean up their rooms or whatever. You're teaching them how to be a responsible contributor to society when they get older and therefore that's what you value so that's what you're making time for that's what you're tolerating or not tolerating if they don't come to you with a positive attitude or if they come to you and they're smarting off and everything else and you know you value respect then you're not going to tolerate that so in marriage it's kind of the same thing. All of this tolerance and boundaries, valuing or devaluing just to stay happy, like it's kind of exhausting, right? Well, what if I told you also that happiness is probably the worst value ever? Happiness is a result. And sadly, we often attach that to objects, to money, to substances, to things that are fleeting. We attach it to our job. We attach it to so many different things and I cannot tell you how many times couples have come to me for coaching and one of them will say, well, he doesn't make me happy anymore or she doesn't make me happy anymore. And in that, Will Smith has said it best, honestly. He has this three minute YouTube video that if you haven't heard, you should absolutely check it out. He says, You cannot make someone happy. You can make someone smile and you can make them feel good, but you cannot make them happy. Your happiness is completely and utterly your responsibility. And he talks about how when Jada was doing all this reflecting on love, she came in and she asked, you know, they were talking and they had realized that when they got married, like most people do, They thought that they would become this one entity and they realized that they're completely different, like they're completely separate people on two completely separate journeys. And when you get married, you are one team unit consisting of two coaches. And if you have kids, then you have a bunch of players that you're coaching, but you're not one person. And the Bible talks about this, how a man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. But you're, you're making up one union, but you're still two people that are responsible for your own happiness in this. And he told Jada, he was like, I retire. I retire from making you happy. You go make yourself happy to just prove that it's even possible, which I think so many men that I've coached have said, you know, I don't even know if it's possible to make her happy. I sure don't. And it's because our responsibility is our happiness. Our happiness is our responsibility. And we put that on so many other people. Well, you don't make me happy because you don't put your clothes in the hamper. You put them beside the hamper or you don't help me bathe the kids at night or, you know, whatever the case may be. You know, you don't make my favorite meals. You only make the same 12 things and that's it. Whatever it is, the point is our happiness is our own responsibility. And according to Dr. Henry Cloud, people who always want to be happy and pursue it above all else are some of the most miserable people in the world. 
People who value happiness avoid pain. Have you ever met one of those people, like a runner? As soon as things aren't fun anymore, or as soon as, you know, things get a little bit hard, they cut and run. I've known so many people that way. And Hey guys, real quick, if you are loving this podcast episode, give it a quick like and share it with your friends. You never know who might also benefit from the information that you're loving. Tag me in your post so that I can thank you and chat with you because I love getting to know and connect with my audience. And also leave a review. It helps the podcast grow and get in front of more people. And this helps the mission to divorce-proof marriages, and we all know somebody who could benefit from that. So thanks so much, and back to the episode. Pain is inevitable if we're growing. If we're stepping outside of our comfort zone, that's going to be uncomfortable. There may be a little bit of pain of growth there. Those who believe that happiness is constant are living in a fantasy world or they're living in a world without growth. And that being said, like these people, they just kind of stay stagnant the whole life. We talked about complacency in a few episodes ago. Complacency is the thief of joy. It is the killer of dreams complacency is one of those things that we get to because we're afraid of pain, because we're afraid of looking ourselves in the face and saying, Ooh, maybe I'm not the person that I want to be. Maybe, you know, I had a client tell me the other day that his life did not turn out the way that he wanted it to. And I said, so what are you going to do about that? It's not too late. That ageism and all of that, that's, that's urgency culture. It's not too late to change things. It's not too late to figure out what makes you happy. It's not too late to find your happiness. Even if you're 65, 70 years old, even if you're 30, you haven't missed the mark. You can still figure out what makes you happy. To be honest, when I was working in Irving, Texas, and I was at an ad agency, I was not happy. I was miserable. I was stressed out to the max. I had people around me that I loved and that made me happy. But the job itself, being a single mom at the time, you know, living the life that I lived did not make me happy. And I didn't know what did. I remember when Mo came back from Egypt, even you know, I had tried to put my happiness on him and say, you know, we were going through so many different cultural differences and so many different, just trying to learn how to communicate together and trying to learn, you know, what life looked like with the two of us together versus as separate entities, you know, trying to develop that one union, one team kind of situation and that mindset. And it was so frustrating. And there were moments where I wasn't happy. And there were moments where I seriously considered like, is this actually what I want? Is this actually, you know, this wasn't in what I envisioned. It wasn't what I expected, but am I happy? And the answer at that time was no, but I kept pushing through, kept trying to search for my own happiness. And that was about the time that I discovered that Will Smith YouTube video. And I thought, man, that applies so much. And so that was when I got in touch with my church. And I said, you know, I went and I talked to this lady, God bless her. She was sitting at at one of the tables in, um, they call it the hub. It's like where everybody meets for more information or whatever. And 
I walked in and I was like, look, here's what I, here's where I'm at. I'm not happy. I hate my job. I need this. I need that. I need to figure this out. Basically help me get my poop in a group. And she was like, oh, okay, great. You've come to the right place. And so she was so nice. And she actually turned me into the unique program that I open up once every year. And so that right there, that led me to my happiness. And that right there actually helped me discover who I am and what I'm about and what I'm, you know, what I'm destined to do in this world. And that's where coaching came about. And since I figured that out, I found my happiness. My happiness is coaching. My happiness is my boys. My happiness is my husband. Was it hard going through all of the the pain of growth, of learning to communicate, of changing our fight styles, of, you know, learning empathy and compassion towards each other, of growing together? Absolutely, it was hard, but it was also very worth it because on the other side of that, I had found myself and I had found my own happiness and that is what allowed me to be a better wife, which then allowed Mo to be a better husband. It allowed me to be more grateful for what he was bringing to the table instead of pushing him away because of my own projections and my own issues. And so that right there, those moments of unhappiness are given to us to teach us something you know, that's one of the things that we teach in Unique is that the peaks, and I think I've said it so many times on this podcast, the peaks of life are there to give us confidence, to say, yep, I am absolutely capable of doing this. Yep, this is fantastic. Life is really great so that you're not always down in the doldrums. But at the same time, those valleys, no matter how long they are, even when they seem like they are years, Mo, Mo and I went through this valley for probably three years trying to get our footing and trying to figure out what we were doing and how to do it better. And no matter how long that valley is, those are there to teach you the convictions and to teach you those lessons. So if you're always inconvenienced by something getting the, in the way of your happiness and you're angry and you're bitter towards whatever comes up, you'll actually never solve the issue. You'll run away from the, the job opportunity. You'll, you know, quit on yourself. You'll stop trying to, you know, better your health because you feel like it's not worth it or you're not happy while you're doing it. You'll divorce your spouse because you think you're going to be happier with someone else down the road. All because it got hard and you weren't happy. James tells us in the Bible to consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. And that's James 1, 2 through 5. I was just listening this morning while I was at the gym to um, the book Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs. That's what it is. Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs. And he talks about how your faith in yourself is so important, that your faith in yourself helps you to get to those peaks and helps you get to 
the confidence that when you have the confidence and you have the faith in yourself, even like when you're an entrepreneur, you don't have a check coming in every two weeks, right? So it's really easy for you to be like, I'm not happy in this job because it's so hard. It is hard, but for different reasons. And so it talks about having that faith and having that faith in yourself develops perseverance. You keep pushing because you know you're going to get that next client. You know that you're going to, you know, do a really great job as a mom. You know, you know, you keep, you keep coaching your kids every single day. Brush your teeth. Take a shower. Did you use soap in the shower? Did you actually wash your hair or did you just get it wet? Did you put your shoes away? You know, persevering in these things that we seem to say three billion times a day, every single day. And it's so frustrating, but we're persevering because we have faith that our parenting along with God's grace and blessings is going to get these children to be those great contributors to society when they're older. When you hit a rough patch in life or in parenting or in your marriage, consider it joy. I heard this the other day that there's a coach that I follow. Um, her name is Taylor Lee. And when she hits a rough patch, she's like, Ooh, what is this teaching me? What is, what's on the other side of this? Because usually it's that something great is coming when you hit that rough patch, no matter what it is, that it's like an arrow. The arrows have to be pulled back in order to be let go and, you know, go towards their target. So the further back you pull it, the farther you're going to shoot forward. And that's kind of the same scenario here that when you hit a rough patch in life, like just ask yourself, Ooh, okay. What could be on the other side of this? You know, how far am I going to, going to shoot forward from this little setback here? Consider it joy, just like James says, and ask yourself what's on the other side. What should I be learning from this? Get excited. It's probably going to be really good. Persevere through that hardship to become mature and complete in it, especially in your marriage. When you're going through a rough patch, I cannot tell you how many couples I have worked with. And gentlemen, if you are listening to this, I'm going to tell you every man that I have ever worked with is like the first session. He's like, "Mm mm-hmm, yep, I'm here. Mm Mm-hmm. He's there because his wife made him come also because he wants a better marriage. But by the end, the husbands love me more than the wives do, I think, because coaching is fun and it's interactive and it's, you know, I make it to where you relate to it and you you see what's happening, but I give you tools. You know, men are fixers. You guys know this. Men are fixers. And so you just want to be happier. You just want everything to be less angry at home. You want everything to be more fun and you want everything to be more balanced and less chaotic. And that's what I bring to the table is I I give you guys tools that you can put forth immediately. And so I think that's why husbands like it so much is that it's, it's not all about feelings and it's not all about, you know, past. We do address that a little bit, but for the most part, it's all about looking forward. Where do we want to go with this? And what's on the other side of this hardship? What's on the other side that we can get excited about? And how can we mature? And how can we be complete as individuals in it? We value the lessons 
and then we'll be happy again as a result until the next lesson to be learned comes along and then we repeat the cycle. That being said, if you're not happy, I would encourage you to look inside yourself and just find out why. You know, what's missing in your life? Is it a different job? Is it, you know, a different scene? You know, my husband and I are struggling right now. We're going through a hard patch. I, I'm all about, you know, vulnerability and being authentic with you guys. We're going through a rough patch here in Houston. We don't have a community and that's really, really important to your, you know, your sanity and your marriage and everything else. We as a couple are great, but that community is definitely missing. And so Um, you know, we're considering moving because we need something more. We need something different. And we have pretty much exhausted most of the resources that we have here. So we're looking at going to where we do have a community, where we can be happy as individuals and happier as a couple. And so, because there's always room to grow and, and improve. So where, what are you missing? And if coaching can help you get that, I would encourage you to email me at coaching at recognizingpotential.com and figure out, you know, can we do 12 sessions and see what would life be like after 12 weeks? What do you have to lose if it could make you happier as an individual and as a couple? So I hope this has helped in some way, shape or form for you guys. Remember that what you tolerate is what you get. So look at your boundaries. And if you are looking to set more boundaries and you're not sure how, get into the Back to Basics uh, program. I am opening that up for October now. So you can um, email me at coaching at recognizingpotential.com and get more details on that as well. And that is all I have for you for this week. Have a fantastic week and I will talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to another podcast episode of Recognizing Potential with your coach and host, Cameron thompson Alariki. Please be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and also send me a review. I read all of the reviews and I'm grateful for every single one. Be sure to join the Facebook group, Recognizing Potential Life Coaching, for even more life-changing content. Follow me on Instagram at recognizing underscore potential and on Twitter at recpotential, R-E-C-P-O-T-E-N-T-I-A-L. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next week. Welcome back. It has been a minute since I recorded an episode and honestly, life got in the way. Um, I, well, our whole family had COVID at the beginning of September and we've all recovered from that. Well, none of us got super horrible symptoms or anything, but I, my voice was definitely in no position to be recording. So, um, that was that story for a couple of weeks. And then, um, just vacations and all of that. We just didn't get an episode out. So this is October. We are, um, excited about what's happening now. And this month I actually am going to do an episode today on how your childhood is affecting your marriage. And then starting next week, we're starting a little mini series on spouses that hold it all together. And so I have recorded a, um, 
semi-celebrity's wife and how she holds things down and um, takes care of the kids and also runs her own very successful six-figure business. And then I also interviewed a um, naval wife, a military wife. Uh, She was just absolutely wonderful too. So lots of like parenting and relationships and how to really work as a team coming this this month. And then I'm also going to do something I've never done before and talk about Mo and I's story and how we met and how we got together and um, what it's really like to be a pilot wife. So really excited about what's to come. And with that, let's jump into how your childhood is affecting your marriage. So I will never forget the day I yelled to my three-year-old son, um, then three-year-old, I was newly divorced and, you know, setting things up in our new apartment and he had climbed up on the chair and jumped off and I yelled, we do not have time for an emergency room visit today. And I said it so much during his childhood that at one point I said it to him like off of our balcony and he was down um, roller skating in the parking lot. And I said, Mason. And he goes, yeah, I know. I know, mom. We don't have time for an RE visit today. He said RE. He meant ER. But that's that was just the the phrase that came out of my mouth so much. And a lot of it was because my mother said that so much to my brothers. And so the first time that I ever saw it, it said it, I thought, oh dear Lord, I've become my mother. And if you have kids, I'm sure you can relate. But our experiences as children shape us and they give us our subconscious beliefs by the time we're seven years old. And also our conscious beliefs, they shape our relationships, they shape um, how we fight, how we think about money, how we parent our own children, and even how we respond or don't to our own spouses. And so it starts with the type of parenting that we had, and there are four main types. Most of us grew up with the authoritarian parent, which is where children are taught to obey without question. Parents are often thinking like they have the mindset of children should be seen, not heard. And when it comes to rules, it's very much the like my way or the highway type thing. I'm the parent and I said so. Um, that kind of thinking. And it sounds like quit crying or I'll give you something to cry about, which we may be guilty of saying to our kids. Our parents, I'm sure, were guilty of saying it to us. It never really made sense to me, that whole phrase, like quit crying or I'll give you something to cry about. Like I'm crying because my need is not met and I don't know how to process the emotions that go with that. So that's that is the reason I'm crying. So I don't need another reason. Like you're just adding to the problem, right? Kids are taught to comply in the authoritarian parenting. Kids are are taught to comply out of fear for the punishment, not out of true respect. Now, I know this is going to make some people mad, but this is what it is. If you really look at it, this this is really what it is. So this type of parenting has high accountability, but low acceptance, in terms of accepting your children for who they are and what's really going on with them. There's permissive parenting, which is the second type, which children are kind of left to do as they please for the most part. Like there's not a lot of rules, not a lot of boundaries. Consequences aren't really enforced that much, um, if ever. 
the thought patterns here are, well, kids are going to be kids, so I'm just going to kind of let them roam and do and, you know, whatevs. And it sounds like that. It sounds like, sure, do whatever you want. This has high acceptance, low accountability. Okay. The third type of parenting is uninvolved or neglectful parenting. Sounds just like what it is. Children are left to fend for themselves. They aren't asked about their day. They rarely have their needs met. And this parenting couldn't be, could be intentional or unintentional. Um, having a mental illness, just being completely burnt out on in, in terms of parenting, in terms of job, all of it adds up. And then you legit do not have the energy to parent. The problem with that is that then our children feel emotionally abandoned, physically abandoned, like they feel like nobody cares about them. In the authoritarian parenting, like if you use things like timeout, um, a behavior in any shape of, of of the word, a behavior is a communication on an unmet or met need. Okay, when we're happy and our our needs are met, we're excited about something. We're communicating that we're excited about that thing. When we are hungry, when we are tired, you know, a five year old doesn't have the vocabulary to say, I'm frustrated because I'm tired. I need a nap. I'm frustrated because I'm hungry and you're not making me lunch fast enough. So I need food. They don't have that vocabulary. And so they lash out, they have a meltdown, all the things. And then we get mad at them because of their behavior. But that behavior is communicating a need. Okay, so to the authoritarian parent, when we put them in timeout or we spank them we're, and leave them in their room, we are leaving them in a time that they're most emotionally vulnerable. And so then it looks like emotional abandonment to them because we left them in and, you know, told them you need to think about what you did. How can they think about what they did when all they can think about is the fact that they're hungry or they're tired or they're thirsty or whatever that unmet need is. That's all that that is. It's not that our kids want to be bad. It's not that our kids want to lash out or have a meltdown no more than we do, which I'll get into here in a little bit. But the uninvolved or neglectful parenting is the same way. We are barely able to meet our own needs in terms of sleep, in terms of um, you know, food in terms of whatever it is, we're burned out. We have a a mental illness. We have a lack of education of a child's development or their abilities, um, that are age appropriate. So this has no sound because parents aren't there or don't care enough or aren't able to ask or respond to these kids needs. This has a low acceptance and a low accountability. The authoritative parenting, this is where children are taught rules. They're taught responsibilities. They're taught respect while their emotional needs are being met. And rules are explained as to why things are the way that they are. And emotions are not only identified, but also validated. So it sounds like something like this. If you hit me with the toy again, we will put the toy away until tomorrow. This is for a very small child, obviously. And then when they do it again, they lose that toy as a privilege. 
hey, you know what? I understand that you're angry, but that hurts me when you hit me with that toy and it's not okay to hurt people. You may choose another toy if you can be safe with it. And then after that child has calmed down, the behavior is addressed and a healthier way of dealing with their anger is discussed. The reaction from you as the parent is A, self-regulated, B, it's respectful and age appropriate. It helps kids learn natural consequences, which is a skill that's going to be vital to the rest of their life anyway. It's not a punishment based on the parent's anger. It looks like being there for your child. It looks like teaching them the proper ways to explain things or do things. It looks like you teaching them how to be a member of society with respect in terms of you're going to respect me because I am an adult, but also I am going to respect you because even though you're a child, you're still a person. So I'm not doing things out of control like an authoritarian parent. I'm doing things how to like in terms of teaching you. At the same time, all of these emotions are being identified. They're being validated. Kids are being taught how to work through them. So there's a high acceptance, but there's also high accountability. This has been deemed by expert psychologists and, um, you know, teachers and all of these different panels of people that work with children on a daily basis um, and have a lot of education around this as the best type of parenting Most of us, including myself, were brought up with authoritarian parenting styles. Our parents were brought up with that style because think about it. Our grandparents, our great grandparents, they didn't know any better. They, I mean, it's, it's cyclical, right? Generational. So there's a very good chance that you were brought up this way. And if you didn't research this before you had kids, no shame in that game. Lots of people didn't, but you're bringing up your kids in the same way. Now, again, I want to emphasize there's no judgment here. Okay. We're all learning. We're all on our own journey. The only issue with that is that it doesn't, the only issue with authoritarian parenting is that it doesn't address emotions. And most of our lives, if you think about it, run off of emotional signals. A lot of the decisions that we make are based on how, you know, what emotions we feel at the time, how we react to our partner, how we react to our children, how we react to, you know, constructive criticism from our boss or being told, oh, hey, you know, as from our boss, hey, I need you to work extra hours or I need you to work this weekend or whatever, how we respond to that all based on emotions, all of it. So if we don't learn to regulate those emotions when we're kids and we're only taught to comply because an authoritarian said so, then we become adults who still can't process and regulate emotions. Thus, we get into a relationship, we lose our temper, we punch holes in the wall, we call our spouse names, we walk away while our partner is still speaking, We stop listening and start getting defensive at the first sign of criticism or complaint. We, you know, we love our spouse, love in quotation marks, but only when things are good, only when they're being the perfect wife or the perfect husband, only when they're helping with the kids, only when they're meeting our expectations to 
the level that we decide that they need to. We have no self-awareness, which means that we don't know why we're feeling the way that we're feeling or why we're reacting the way that we're reacting. We just are. We have no spousal awareness, which means we don't really know our spouse. Why do they react the way that they do? What are their triggers? What are their responses and why their responses are the way that they are? Despite, you know, all of the cues being there, facial expressions, body language, we see that our spouse is getting ramped up and yet we continue to push all their buttons. So we have no awareness on how to react to them. And then in terms of parenting, we get angry at our kids for having a meltdown because their communication of an unmet need isn't okay with us because of how it looks to other people around us. Now think about that. I'll say it again. We get angry at our kids for having a meltdown because their communication of an unmet need isn't okay with us because of how it looks to other people around us. So if they're in, if we're a target and our kid has a meltdown in the middle of the aisle, parents who aren't dealing with that kid are, oh, that, that kid needs a spanking. That kid must not have, you know, good parenting at home. We are judgmental duties and... At the same time, if we're dealing with that parent, we're mad at our kid because we know we're being judged. We don't stop to think, okay, what's the unmet need here? Did I, did I choose to go to Target in the middle of my child's nap time? Did I choose to go to Target without feeding my child first? Did I not bring snacks? Did I not bring something to drink for my child? So now my child is losing his marbles because... He has an unmet need that was actually my fault and I'm getting mad at him for that. So we can't teach our children to regulate their emotions because we can't regulate ours. All behavior, and I'll say it again, even in adults is simply communication of a met or unmet need. Your wife gets mad because she needs help and she has a meltdown and starts crying because she needs help. She's burnt out. She's trying to do all the things and she doesn't have enough energy for it. She's tired, like constantly tired, constantly hungry because she didn't have time to eat that day because she was too busy feeding your three children. And yet you get mad at her because she's, the behavior is crying and you don't know how to regulate your emotions. So therefore you can't help her regulate hers in a time that she doesn't have, like her cognitive functioning has shut down because she's so tired or so hungry or her needs are not being met. So because you have no spousal awareness and you have no self-awareness, you're not able to help her in her time of need. So you get mad and then a fight starts because you can't handle her crying when she's communicating to you that she just needs help. So rather than look at the message she's sending, you just walk away or you start yelling at her or what, I mean, fill in the blank with however you respond that's unhealthy and that just makes the situation worse. Your husband is trying to take a nap on a Saturday afternoon 
because he's worked hard in the yard and he's worked at his job all week and his body is tired. He needs sleep. And you get pissed because he hasn't hung the blinds yet or he didn't take your son to soccer practice like he said he would or he, you know, didn't vacuum out your car or whatever it is that he normally does on a Saturday afternoon. So again, because you have no spousal awareness, you're looking at what he's not doing versus what he needs. The expectation that he's not meeting of yours because he's trying to function. Basic needs. This is why I created the program Back to Basics. Because we need to start learning how to meet our needs instead of being codependent and trying to meet everyone else's needs before our own. The good news is that all of this that I have talked to for the talked to you about for the last, you know, 15 or so minutes is that it's a skill that can be learned. Your intelligence level, your IQ is what you're born with. And even that can be impacted by, you know, health issues or by, um, you know, PTSD, trauma, all these things. But the emotional intelligence, your EQ level is actually learned. So no matter what age or stage you're in, the excuse of I'm too old for that or, um, well, this is the way I've always done it. So I can't change now. Those are all BS. So you can learn to face all of this. You can learn to face your challenges. You can learn adversity. You can learn problem solving. You can learn self-awareness, spousal awareness. You can learn how to regulate your emotions. You can learn empathy and relationship skills to improve all of your relationships, not just your marriage or if you're dating that relationship. It also helps you become more successful in your business because if you're in a leadership role, empathy is actually one of the things that helps you guide your team. It helps you motivate your team so that they are more productive, so that they are, um, you know, they have job fulfillment so that they actually stick around and you're not having to, you know, rehire someone, retrain, take all that time, energy, effort, and money to do that. If you just have some empathy for your team, they are going to you know, do the job that you hired them to do and in a better manner. If you are a parent, this obviously we've talked most of this podcast about the empathy that you need as a parent to understand where your child is at emotionally, mentally, physically, developmentally, and then meet them at that spot and then take them where they need to go, help them grow. It's the same thing with marriage. You're needing to meet your spouse where they are, not where you think they should be, but where they are, and then push them to grow further. It's a tough gig, y'all. It is a tough thing to learn. It is a tough thing to rewire our brains because like I said at the beginning of the podcast, our subconscious beliefs are created by the time we're seven years old. So if we're taught to comply only because our parents said so, And then we're taking that into our relationships. Well, I have to do this because my husband said so. It's not out of respect. 
it's out of compliance. We have to learn how to have healthier emotions. And that all being said, that is another reason that I did not get a podcast episode out for the last three weeks. I have been seeing a greater and greater need for emotional intelligence increase over the last couple of years. And I finally listened to my intuition and created a course specifically around this. So it is designed as an eight-week program to help you rewire your brain, help you increase your emotional intelligence so that... Now, again, when I say increase emotional intelligence, I am not calling you stupid. I am telling you that... If you did not learn how to regulate your emotions, that is an increase in emotional intelligence when you do learn to regulate that. So that's what I mean by emotional intelligence. But that's what this program is about. It is an eight-week eight group course. It, is, it includes eight group calls and two individual 60-minute calls. So you're getting 120 minutes of coaching specifically on what you still need. So if we've already gone through the empathy modules and you're like, man, I'm just not getting it. Like I still feel like I am judgmental as heck or I just cannot get past the whole authoritarian parenting and, you know, looking at my children as people because they're five years old, you know, or three years old or they're still a baby or whatever. I'm still having an issue, you know, responding to my spouse. Whatever that is, that's what we reserve those two calls for to go over. This price point for this this course, you know, not only are you going to master your emotions, you're also going to increase your social skills, your leadership skills, and have better relationships all around. Marriage, parenting, you know, in your business, all the things. But this price point is $444, y'all. We're talking like over a $1,600 value for $444. And I did that so that it's affordable and it is obtainable by everybody who needs it. There's a payment plan available if you need that. I will totally work with you on that simply because I, I believe in this program and I believe that everyone needs increased emotional intelligence. What would our world be like if we had an increased empathy for each other? What would it be like if we could look at our friend who, you know, didn't get vaccinated or did get vaccinated or, um, you know, believes that in the left side versus the right or, um, you know, they're black, brown, purple, green or blue and we're white. If we, you know, just think about all the different things that are going on in our world, that if we just had a little bit more empathy and a little bit more understanding, if we understood that it's okay to believe something different than our spouse, it's okay to believe something different than, you know, Joe that lives down the street. It's okay to drive by a sign that we don't like and, you know, accept it and release it. It's okay to do that because like it or not, that's the world that we live in that everyone is going to have different beliefs. Everyone is going to have a different perspective. That's not going away. So we either learn to adapt and overcome and accept while still holding people accountable, while still showing respect and while still showing responsibility 
or we're going to struggle and we're going to keep struggling because we're teaching our children to struggle in the midst of our struggle. They're watching. They're catching a lot more than we're teaching based on how we respond and react. So I hope if you guys are wanting to get into that program, I will leave the link in the show notes. Um, you can also email me at coaching at recognizingpotential.com and I will help you um, however I can in terms of getting you signed up, in terms of getting you a payment plan option, answering questions, etc., etc. I hope you guys have a fantastic, fantastic week and I will talk to you next Thursday when um, my guest is Christy Vest. She is a former fighter pilot, a mom, and a military wife. So I hope you guys are as excited about that interview as I am, and I will talk to you next week. Welcome back. It has been a minute since I recorded an episode, and honestly, Life got in the way. Um, I, well, our whole family had COVID at the beginning of September and we've all recovered from that. Well, none of us got super horrible symptoms or anything, but I, my voice was definitely in no position to be recording. So, um, that was that story for a couple of weeks and then, um, just vacations and all of that. We just didn't get an episode out. So, This is October. We are um, excited about what's happening now. And this month, I actually am going to do an episode today on how your childhood is affecting your marriage. And then starting next week, we're starting a little mini series on spouses that hold it all together. And so I have recorded a um, semi-celebrity's wife and how she holds things down and um, takes care of the kids and also runs her own very successful six-figure business. And then I also interviewed a um, naval wife, a military wife. Uh, She was just absolutely wonderful too. So lots of like parenting and relationships and how to really work as a team coming this this month. And then I'm also going to do something I've never done before and talk about Mo and I's story and how we met and how we got together and um, what it's really like to be a pilot wife. So really excited about what's to come. And with that, let's jump into how your childhood is affecting your marriage. So I will never forget the day I yelled to my three-year-old son, um, then three-year-old, I was newly divorced and, you know, setting things up in our new apartment and he had climbed up on the chair and jumped off and I yelled, we do not have time for an emergency room visit today. And I said it so much during his childhood that at one point I said it to him like off of our balcony and he was down um, roller skating in the parking lot. And I said, Mason. And he goes, yeah, I know. I know, mom. We don't have time for an RE visit today. He said RE. He meant ER. But that's that was just the, the phrase that came out of my mouth so much. And a lot of it was because my mother said that so much to my brothers. And so the first time that I ever saw it, said it, I thought, oh dear Lord, I've become my mother. And if you have kids, I'm sure you can relate. But our experiences as children shape us and they give us our subconscious beliefs by the time we're seven years old. 
and also our conscious beliefs. They shape our relationships. They shape um, how we fight, how we think about money, how we parent our own children, and even how we respond or don't to our own spouses. And so it starts with the type of parenting that we had And there are four main types. Most of us grew up with the authoritarian parent, which is where children are taught to obey without question. Parents are often thinking like they have the mindset of children should be seen, not heard. And when it comes to rules, it's very much the like my way or the highway type thing. I'm the parent and I said so. Um, That kind of thinking. And it sounds like quit crying or I'll give you something to cry about. Which we may be guilty of saying to our kids. Our parents, I'm sure, were guilty of saying it to us. It never really made sense to me, that whole phrase. Like, quit crying or I'll give you something to cry about. Like, I'm crying because my need is not met. And I don't know how to process the emotions that go with that. So that's, that is the reason I'm crying. So I don't need another reason. Like, you're just adding to the problem, Right. Kids are taught to comply in the authoritarian parenting. Kids are, kids are taught to comply out of fear for the punishment, not out of true respect. Now, I know this is going to make some people mad, but this is what it is. If you really look at it, this is, this is really what it is. So this type of parenting has high accountability, but low acceptance in terms of accepting your children for who they are and what's really going on with them. There's permissive parenting, which is the second type, which children are kind of left to do as they please for the most part. Like there's not a lot of rules, not a lot of boundaries. Consequences aren't really enforced that much, um, if ever. The thought patterns here are, well, kids are going to be kids, so I'm just going to kind of let them roam and do and, you know, whatevs. And it sounds like that. It sounds like, sure, do whatever you want. This has high acceptance, low accountability. Okay, the third type of parenting is uninvolved or neglectful parenting. Sounds just like what it is. Children are left to fend for themselves. They aren't asked about their day. They rarely have their needs met. And this parenting couldn't be could be intentional or unintentional. Um, having a mental illness, just being completely burnt out on in in terms of parenting, in terms of job. All of it adds up and then you legit do not have the energy to parent. The problem with that is that then our children feel emotionally abandoned, physically abandoned, like they feel like nobody cares about them. In the authoritarian parenting, like if you use things like timeout, um, a behavior in any shape of 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 the word, a behavior is a communication on an unmet or met need, okay? When we're happy and our our needs are met, we're excited about something, we're communicating that we're excited about that thing. When we are hungry, when we are tired, you know, a five-year-old doesn't have the vocabulary to say, I'm frustrated because I'm tired. I need a nap, I'm frustrated because I'm hungry and you're not making me lunch fast enough. So I need food. They don't have that vocabulary. And so they lash out. They have a meltdown, all the things. 
And then we get mad at them because of their behavior. But that behavior is communicating a need. Okay. So to the authoritarian parent, when we put them in timeout or we spank them we're, and leave them in their room, we are leaving them in a time that they're most emotionally vulnerable. And so then it looks like emotional abandonment to them because we left them in, and you know told them, you need to think about what you did. How can they think about what they did when all they can think about is the fact that they're hungry or they're tired or they're thirsty or whatever that unmet need is? That's all that that is. It's not that our kids want to be bad. It's not that our kids want to lash out or have a meltdown. No more than we do, which I'll get into here in a little bit. But the uninvolved or neglectful parenting is the same way. We are barely able to meet our own needs in terms of sleep, in terms of, um, you know, food in terms of whatever it is, we're burned out. We have a a mental illness. We have a lack of education of a child's development or their abilities, um, that are age appropriate. So this has no sound because parents aren't there or don't care enough or aren't able to ask or respond to these kids needs. This has a low acceptance and a low accountability. 